Hey, this is PJ. And this is Alex. We just wanted to do a content advisory for this episode, like a no-joke, no-singing content advisory. Yeah, I think the first half just has some bad words. And the second segment in this episode includes a story about sexual abuse. If that's something that you might find upsetting, you're probably better off just skipping the second half. Okay, here's the show. From Gimlet, this is Reply All, a show about the internet. I'm PJ Vote, And I'm Alex Goldman. And this week we're doing a segment that some listeners might already be familiar with. It's called 10 Minutes on Craigslist. Alex, how does it work? We, uh... Do you know? I think. Just give me a second. Jeez. We go on Craigslist and we find posts that are a little enigmatic and that we'd like to learn more about. And then we email them and then we go out with our microphones and ask them questions. Okay, you want to hear the post that we're doing this week? Sure. Okay. I feel like it's story time. Um, subject title. Looking for old friends from the Sea Colony Bar in Greenwich Village in the 1960s. And then the post reads, I'm a man who worked there part-time in the 60s and consequently made a lot of great friends. When the bar closed, everyone went their own way and sadly I lost touch with them. Does anybody remember Maria, the bartender? Wish someone could tell me what happened to her and everyone else for that matter. If there's anyone out there reading this and you were there, please contact. I'd love to hear from you. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. All right, you ready? Yeah. Okay, so first you could introduce yourself just like how you'd like to in a complete sentence. Yeah, my name is Preston Mardenborough. I'm an artist now and I sell art in the street. I've been doing that for a number of years. We sent Reply All's own Sylvie Douglas to go talk to him. Every four days I renew the ad. Just press a button to renew ad. It's very easy. So if you had to guess, how many times do you think it's been posted? Or renewed? My ad? Oh, that's easy to figure out mathematically. I'll tell you in a minute. 300 times, that might be a conservative estimate. I would have thought it, it would got, it would got more response than it did. But as the years go by, the chances are diminishing <laughs> of finding people around from those years. Yeah. So can you walk me through um, Sea Colony and what it looked like? Yeah, it was one of the uh, top lesbian bars. I was a waiter, the only male waiter there. One time they had me as a bouncer. And uh, you would walk into the first room, and it was a bar on the left-hand side, and the second room was basically mostly tables and chairs, and the third room was dancing. And uh, if the police would come... 
somebody would press a button, everybody would stop dancing. Well, so when, what did the button do? The button, there was a red light in the back. All right, everybody stop dancing. And everything would freeze, and people would run to their tables and just sit like they're having drinks. So everybody was, everybody was uh, paranoid. There was a paranoid atmosphere about who's going to find out I'm gay, is my job going to find out? Everything was paranoid about people's sexuality. And uh, I went home with uh, quite a few women, and I lived with quite a few women. Did they consider themselves bisexual, or did they still consider themselves well, that's lesbians? A, now, that's a good question. When I say that I went, out with, uh, I went out with lesbian women, I guess from a technical standpoint of view, they were, bi- they were bisexual, but they certainly didn't go out with any other men. The whole thing was a was a. It was just a, a. It was just magic from the very beginning. I mean, a straight man being plunged into the world of lesbians. I, I don't know if I ever, what, how, when, who. I mean, a million. I didn't even have time to get the answers to the questions. It. It. it you know. But you felt at home right away. Yeah, I was very very comfortable with these women. It was sort of a very caring type of atmosphere. There was a girl in there by the name of, a woman, by the name of Maria. She was a famous bartender in there for years. Uh, I don't know what happened to her. I'd like to see her. She was a Spanish woman from, from northern Spain, and she was a, a butch woman, but extremely attractive. I don't have a picture of her. I don't have anything. She looked something like something like a gaucho. You know what a gaucho is? A Spanish gaucho? No. Something on the order of a bullfighter. Something like that. If ever you would have painted... I'm an artist, you know. If ever you would have painted a picture of somebody who was Spanish from Spain with the features and everything else, Maria would be in. And, you know, she knew I wanted to go to bed with her. I never told her. Everybody wanted to go to bed with her. Were you in love with any of the women? Yeah, I was. I was, yeah. Were you in love with Maria? That's a hard question. Um, sort of. Of course, I knew it was impossible, but I wasn't a person who bothered or anything like that. Secretly, a secret love? Yeah, Maria, sure. Seems like you're, you were putting yourself in this position where you were kind of setting yourself up to fail, that you were in love with these women who wouldn't necessarily have the same feelings towards you back. I don't know. It was sort of a challenge. It was sort of a challenge. I guess you might, you might call it that. I, I, I kept going back for more. It became compulsive. They got to be a habit. Some people take drugs. Some people gamble. But I, I couldn't stay away from them. And what was their attitude towards you? Well, they, they liked me. They, they, they did like me. They, uh, or maybe they were fascinated with me. I, I don't know exactly. I wondered what they found in a male. I thought that it was uh, females that they, that they were mostly interested in, which it is in all reality. I mean, it's, you know. And uh, I always said I wanted to get away from them. Why? Because it wasn't normal, I guess, you know. But it doesn't strike me that normal is important to you. Uh, for me, 
In other words, I used to always constantly think about the future. And I used to think what's going to happen if and what's going to happen when. Is this going to go on all my life? What is wrong? Am I going to find a straight woman soon? And I'd meet straight women. I'd meet straight women. I'm going to be honest with you now. I'm going to be, I've been honest. I'm going to tell you something personal that I've never felt as comfortable with a straight woman as I have with a gay woman. Ask me why. Why? I don't know. And what drives you to repost the ad all the time? Probably an obsession. I'm sure it's an obsession. There's got to be someone out there, you know. Got to be someone out there. Maria and I have the same birthday, you know. She's going to be 80 years old. I'd like to see her. I'd like to where she is. I don't even know if she's in this country. I have no way of, uh, no way of tracing her. I forgot her last name, which is key to finding anybody. Gradually, I lost touch, and uh, I knew hundreds of people, literally hundreds of people. I don't know where they are. It's like they disappeared into thin air. Did you, you're not old enough to have these experiences, but uh, what the hell happened to all these people? It's like a whole continent that just, boom. Age is a terrible thing, you know, especially when, you have it, when you're a young boy in an old man's body. That's, uh, it's, it's a part of my life that's, that's gone. I can't, uh, I can't bring it back. It's not, uh... But you're trying to. I keep trying to, yeah, I, I do, I do. I, I just can't give up. It's a compulsion. Someday maybe somebody will, uh, will see the ad. But I'm realistic enough to know that the chances of that are slim at this stage of the game, only because Father Time has uh, comes into the picture. I wish I could do it all again. And uh, listen, maybe there's some lesbian woman out there who wants to go out with a 72-year-old male. If so, please get in touch with Sylvie uh, <laughs> and let her. She's going to be my proxy. Uh, Your matchmaker? <laughs> something like that, yeah. Reporter Sylvie Douglas. After the break, one man, without the help of the law, takes on some of the Internet's most heinous criminals. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You have goals. Reach them fast with IU Online's Accelerated Degree Programs. Our six- and eight-week courses are taught 100% online and can fit any schedule. Advance your career with a bachelor's in informatics, It only takes 10 minutes to apply. Earn an Indiana University degree that's valued around the world. Get started today at IU Online. 
Wearing a men's warehouse outfit makes you confident, like you could do anything. So you dance like no one is watching, even though everyone is watching. Because of the men's warehouse outfit, you interview like the job is already yours because it is. Because of the men's warehouse outfit, you golf as if the rules don't apply to you because you're too well-dressed for rules. Because of the men's warehouse outfit. At Men's Warehouse, get measured, get fitted, get hot, get confident in everything from tailored suits to underwear and all the stuff in between. Love the way you look at Men's Warehouse. Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different? Hi, I'm Jason Palmer, a host of The Weekend Intelligence, a podcast from The Economist. Join us to hear the stories that matter most to our correspondents and editors. Every Saturday, we introduce you to people and ideas that take you outside the ordinary and expand your horizons one episode at a time. Join us and see the world from a new perspective. To listen free until May 31st, search Spotify for The Weekend Intelligence. Welcome back to the show. This is just a reminder that this segment is definitely not something that you want to listen to with kids. And if you are sensitive to discussions of sexual assault, you might want to skip it yourself. We're talking about putting Reagan on Mount Rushmore. Wow, huh? If they do that, we'll have to raise a bunch of money to buy Lincoln and Jefferson blindfolds. <laughs> They're going to honor him. They're going to put him on the million-dollar bill. <laughs> this way, all his friends will have something to remember him by. This is Barry Crimmins. He's a comedian's comedian. You may not have heard of him, but people like David Cross and Patton Oswalt name-check him as a massive influence. He ran comedy clubs in Boston in the 70s and 80s. On stage, Barry's unsmiling, stoic, a little wild-eyed, and his material is all pretty overtly political. Like, he tweets at the Pope every day, begging him to be excommunicated. But he's not confessional on stage. I mean, I'm not the kind of comic who goes out and t- tells you every detail about his life. I don't talk about the women that have been in my life. I don't, you know, I'm not, it's like, I, 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 like, who cares? That all changed on a night in May of 1992. Barry was hosting a show in Boston. I had just come from Los Angeles. It was right after smoke was still in the air from the uh, uh, insurrection after the uh, Rodney King verdict. And, and, and a lot of people were really indicting these young kids for their behavior. And I felt like saying to people, you know, there may be a little more context for this. Maybe you want to consider where kids come from. All of this is rolling around in Barry's head as he takes the stage. And he starts out with his normal routine. I just did a lot of contemporary material like I always do and um, uh, was getting, you know, laughs. The crowd was having a great time. And then he addresses the L.A. riots, the terrible media coverage, those angry kids, the whole idea that strangers could really judge their behavior without knowing their pasts. So he launches into a story about his own past that he'd never told before. Barry talked about how when he was a kid, his babysitter would sometimes bring a man over who would take him down into the basement and rape him. Uh, how old were you? Yeah, I was about four. Four, wow. maybe pushing five, maybe high fours. Barry says that this happened again and again over a period of possibly weeks. He's not sure. Do you remember the audience reaction to your set? <clears throat> well, they were laughing until they weren't. <laughs> they, you know... <laughs> They, they were laughing until they weren't. A reporter who was at the show wrote that during Barry's story, the room instantly grew as silent as a newly dug tomb. 
It felt cathartic to be able to talk about what had happened on stage, but Barry wanted to find other people who had lived through similar experiences. And fortunately, there was a place that he could go. The internet. You know, I bought a new Mac in, uh, like, early 95, I guess, and got on America Online and was in some chat rooms uh, with abuse survivors. AOL chat rooms in 1995 were broken up into two sections. There were channels that were created by AOL about sports and TV and movies, and then there were rooms that were created by AOL members, which tended toward being explicit. Sure, there were chat rooms for abuse survivors, but there were also rooms to arrange anonymous hookups, to role-play, and then there were some that were much darker. Can you tell me, like, the names of the chat rooms that you found if, that were people were in? You know, dads and daughters and, you know, child XXX pics and, you know, uh, you know... Uh, Junior likes daddy and blah blah. You know, I mean, and, and, I mean, some of them you're going like, well, maybe this is some adult. But you go in and no, again and again, it was about children. But I find, I mean, it was not hard. You'd find dozens of rooms in which clearly they're both trading child porn, exchanging child pornography, but also sort of holding a child molesting clinic. Barry had stumbled upon an enclave of child pornographers and pedophiles, the same site that hosted conversations between survivors of sexual abuse was hosting conversations between sexual abusers. They finally had a community, you know, where would they have been able to gather in the past? So this was a new and clearly very dangerous thing. So I immediately contact AOL and they play at them. They go, well, we'll thank you for being a good citizen of our service and, you know, and... They try that on me for about a month, and I start getting a lot more specific and telling them what's going on. And and they say, well, it's a complex thing, and they're talking about we have to balance First Amendment, right? First Amendment, like raping children is protected speech. What are you, insane? How many times do you think you contacted them? <sighs> Hundreds. Hundreds of times. Do you think that it's possible that this was a situation where um, – the company built something that was too big for them to properly moderate. They Listen, that's crap as far as AOL is concerned, and I'll tell you why. If you wrote the, the following phrase, AOL sucks, they would throw you off in one second. They had the ability. Yeah, I mean, these people were in a specific place. I told them where they were day after day. There's just no, it wasn't too big. I mean, it was there. It was right there. The obvious question in talking about these chat rooms is why not just call the police? And Barry did. He reached out to a number of different law enforcement agencies. But this problem was so new that they just didn't know how to deal with it. No one else was doing anything. I couldn't. It was like, you know, the fire was still going on and children were still on the orphanage and no one was running in the building. So I had to, you know, tr keep trying to put ladders up the windows. I, I just, I, no one was doing anything. Barry thought if there was just enough evidence, he could build a strong enough case to show that the trading of child pornography on AOL was systemic and unchecked. So he did something that sounds unthinkable to me, but he felt was his only option. He went undercover. I created a fake screen name like everyone else on AOL, but mine said I was two kids because some of these people were fixated on girls and some were fixated on boys. I just said, our stupid parents make us share an AOL account, and, you know, and it was a couple kids' names. And then I would just go in and just sit there, observe what was going on, and, the, and they'd start sending me the child pornography. 
You walk, you go in these chat rooms and people instantly start sending you child pornography thinking that it's going to be quid pro quo, you know, and you're just going to send it back to them. When you were communicating with people and collecting information on them, were you getting actual, like, personally identifiable information about the people or were you just collecting screen names? Like, how Sometimes uh, I was trying. Sometimes when they would try to set up meetings and stuff, I would figure out, you know, where they were in general. Um there was one guy who, you know, he was fixated on boys, and he asked the boy, um, <clears throat> uh, do you know what a Ziploc bag is? I said, yes. And he said, well, I want you to pee on your underwear and put it in a Ziploc bag and mail it to me. And I said, sure, give me your address. Finally, one of the law enforcement agencies that Barry had been trying to reach got back to him. This is Rick Bell. He's a prosecutor for Cuyahoga County, where Barry was living at the time. And he says that he found Barry's story very confusing. They wanted to know if our office was aware that there was uh, child predators on the computer trying to rape children. Um, that there were uh, conversations that uh, were taking place in different rooms on the computer. And we had no idea what he was talking about. He took us to uh, AOL, which we didn't even know what that was at the, at the time. And he showed us some of those uh, some of those pictures, uh, and and we were horrified. And when you say that you had no idea what he was talking about, like what was your experience with computers at the time? None. We might have had one computer in the office. We did not have a computer analyst. So there was, uh, there was little knowledge on our part of how you would even obtain the information to be able to figure out where people were in their different houses speaking to each other. Uh, it was very, very difficult. It's like trying to uh, catch a bat with a, with a fishing rod. Rick couldn't do anything. There was no investigation, and they made no arrests. And so Barry was just stuck. All he could do was continue to log into the chat rooms. How much time were you spending in these chat rooms? Like all day, every day? Pretty much. <laughs> I was pretty uh, focused. It must have been really um, frustrating and lonely and in some ways really traumatic to be doing this. I mean, what? I, I guess I'm being presumptuous. How did it feel? Well, it felt all those things. But it felt something else, and that is con- sincerely concerned about the children. I wasn't in those pictures. Those children were, and that's who came first. And I, all I know is if I hadn't stuck to it, I wouldn't have been able to live with myself. It was Of all the options made available to me, the easiest one was to do what I did because otherwise it would be like opening a door up and seeing a bunch of children getting raped and going, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to come in here, and closing the door and going, I didn't see anything. The only thing that I can think of that's worse than having to look at child pornography every day is having to do so when you yourself are a survivor of childhood sexual assault. But Barry continued to stake out AOL's chat rooms and try to get law enforcement involved for seven months. Seven months posing as children, collecting as much information about the traders of child pornography as he could. Finally, Barry managed to reach a U.S. attorney who put him in touch with the right people at the FBI, and they came to his house to get everything he'd collected over that period. I wanted the authorities to know 
what I had, and I wanted them to come in and take over as soon as possible. When I gave the discs to the FBI, which is hilarious, me and the FBI, because I'm this lefty comic, and they come in, I got a Guatemalan wall hanging with, you know, 200 political pins on it. Half of them have a red fist on it, you know, so it's pretty funny. Talk about strange bedfellows. So I, I, I hand over the discs, and they walk out, they leave my apartment, they close, I hear them go down the stairs, and I just broke down, and I just wept, because I was done. In May of 1995, the FBI launched a program called the Innocent Images Initiative. Barry was told that soon after he turned in his materials, the Bureau had arrested 100 people, and that a number of those arrests were based on information that Barry had given them, including the guy who tried to get Barry to mail him urine-soaked underwear. He got rounded up right away, and I was, at the time, I said, yeah, handcuff him to the bars of the jail cell. (laughs) But... He was a particularly bad one. And I believe he was out of Rhode Island somewhere. So if, you're, if, if NPR is on in prison, I'd like to say hello, friend. Barry was relieved to have this period of his life behind him. But he wasn't done. Despite the arrests, AOL still hadn't shut down these chat rooms. And in the summer of 1995, the Senate held a hearing on the problem of child pornography on the Internet. And Barry was invited to testify. Can you tell me about the day that you testified in front of the Senate? Do you remember feeling, do you remember what it was like? Uh, like in I remember mo- that very well. It's because you're walking into, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a movie. My name is Barry Crimmins. I'm a writer and a children's rights and safety advocate residing in Lakewood, Ohio. I'm also an adult survivor of childhood sexual abuse. Barry Once is seated two feet away from his nemesis, Bill Burrington, assistant counsel for AOL. Burrington's young, handsome, slick as hell. And Barry, well, Barry just kind of looks like Barry. I look like a, you know, marijuana grower at his arraignment. He's in a rumpled suit. His curly hair's all over the place. He has a beard. But his delivery is deadly serious. It was unavailable because the video of this hearing is pretty intense. Barry argues with Bill Burrington from AOL, who's attempting to defend the company's policies, and he doesn't mince words. And I, have, I haven't heard back about those files. For example, and I very rarely do. Now, in your case, you did receive responses. I've reviewed the correspondence, and you received responses. I received responses at times, but I haven't from, received responses at other times. And the more heinous it is, the less response I get. Well, it's like there's denial involved or something. Well, there, there's no denial. And it was like a long fight. It went on for an hour or so. And by the end, the guy looks like he has just been taking a, he's a boxer, and he's taken a savage beating and hasn't landed a punch all day, which he didn't. And then at the end, he makes the mistake of telling the truth. Barry's referring to a specific exchange in the testimony. This is Wisconsin Senator Russ Feingold talking to Burrington. Let me make sure I understand what your testimony is. You mentioned that it's your company's policy that if we've got a room full of pedophiles uh, and you see that going on, that you try to zap that out. Is that correct? Uh, We truly have... Pretty much three strikes you're out at, at Americana. Three strikes? Like this guy basically says, you know, like, oh, you, you can't find any four-time child pornography trainers on our <laughs> server. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding? And I jumped right in and said, that's a one-strike offense in any league I believe in, <laughs> you know. And it was over. It was over. And he was done. And he deserved to be done. Goodbye. After the Senate hearing, AOL changed their policy to zero tolerance for the transmission of child pornography. I talked to John Ryan, who was AOL's senior vice president and general counsel for 17 years and later went on to work for the Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And he told me that this hearing, 
the one where Barry testified, was responsible for jolting the internet industry into dealing with this problem. I actually uh, was hired uh, shortly after the hearings. I was hired in January 1996, and I would say the hearings were one of the catalysts for my recruitment. And I think it was a wake-up call for both industry and the law enforcement community that this was a problem that was just going to get worse. John told me that before this hearing, when AOL got reports of bad behavior, they might close the offending user's account, but they had no idea what to do with the evidence they were collecting. They would just throw it away. Quite frankly, the industry at that time was caught off guard. Uh, They were focusing on building, you know, the product and, and expanding into mainstream USA, and they weren't factoring at that time the abuse of that technology uh, in the wrong hands. Things have gotten better since then. Since 1995, companies have gone from being voluntary reporters of suspected child pornography to mandatory reporters. And the Center for Missing and Exploited Children keeps a database of suspected images and helps companies work with law enforcement. The authorities have caught up with the technology. There's no longer a need for Barry to be an online foot soldier. But he's still a guy who just can't help but care. Hopefully everybody has at least a couple close friends they can talk to something about. If not, they can always contact me. I'm easy to find, and I'm happy to hear anybody's story. Wow, that's an incredibly gracious offer. Well, no problem. That's, I mean, it's not an act, man. (laughs) Thanks to Barry Crimmins. This is just a small part of his story. There's actually a documentary out about him right now called Call Me Lucky. I heard about him and this movie from the director, comedian Bob Goldthwaite, on the Comedy Bang Bang podcast. The movie is in limited run in theaters around the country right now, and it is riveting. I strongly recommend you go see it. Go to callmeluckymovie.com to find showtimes and theaters near you. Reply All is hosted by PJ Vote and me, Alex Goldman. We were produced this week by Tim Howard, Shruti Pinamanani, and Fia Benin. We are engineered by David Herman. We had production assistance from Sylvie Douglas. Happy birthday, Sylvie! Special thanks to Emily Kennedy, Austin Federa, and Dean Johnson. Matt Lieber is that moment when the band you love comes out for an encore. Thanks to Gimlet member Nick Schweitzer from Somerville, Massachusetts. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder, and our ad music is by Build Buildings. You can find more episodes at itunes.com slash replyall. Thanks for listening. 